of man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. fits of creativity. This morning's sermon has three verses, and this morning's sermon has three parts to it. The first part I have entitled Part One, <laughs> etc., etc., etc. The passage that we have before us starts with the word so. That word so means that there's something upon which it is built. That something upon which it is built is everything we've been reading in 1 Peter up to this point. That is that we are aliens in a strange land. That as believers in Jesus Christ, we are called to be different. That being a Christian is not a matter of taking who we are and just polishing up the edges and letting the good parts show through. But being a Christian is a matter of a radical change, an entire new creation coming into being. It is a new birth experience. That being a Christian does not call us just to be like the world but a little bit better, but it calls us out of the world. We live in the world, but we are not of the world. And so it should not surprise us that the things to which God calls us as believers in Christ are radically alien to the natural man. They're alien to who we are apart from Christ. The things that the world accepts are not acceptable to Christ. And the things that he demands of us are not acceptable to the world. That word, so, means keep in mind that what we are about to read is going to um, flesh out and fill out the meaning of being a stranger in an alien land. The second thing that word, so, means is read the paragraph just in front of it. Last week, we talked about uh, how, as strangers, we are called to live in love for one another. There's to be a peculiar love for one another for one another, an intentional kind of love for one another, that growing out of our relationship with Christ is a radical transformation of our relationships with other people and certainly our relationships within the body of Christ. So those two aspects of the first Peter uh, are, are wrapped up in that word so. We are aliens of whom God expects something different than the world expects and we are called to love one another, and here's what that love just might mean. And so in the first verse, Peter writes, So, put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Now, I think we can agree these are pretty bad things. I mean, these are pretty awful kinds of sins to have in your life. And I suspect that most of us would be embarrassed if uh, we had to admit that we were people who lived in slander and malice and hypocrisy and envy and whatever else. I mean, that, that, would, that would even bother us to know that. 
But you know, we sin, even as believers in Christ, we sin. And sometimes it's because we're just plain careless. We're just not thinking. We just don't apply ourselves to the matters of the Spirit in our life. And so by not paying attention to the needs of the moment, not paying attention to the challenge of the Spirit to us, not paying attention to what God's Word would direct in a particular situation, we find ourselves living contrary to God's design, contrary to His will, and sometimes we sin simply because we're not paying attention. We're clueless. Sometimes we sin because we're exhausted and we're tired. You know, and we reach that, 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 that point in life where I know I shouldn't say it. I know it's going to hurt if I say it. I know I'm going to be sorry if I say it. But you know something? I'm just too tired to hold it in. And it gets said. And sure enough, we're sorry we said it. And it hurts to have said it. Sometimes we sin because we're just tired and exhausted. And our minds are more on the on the flesh than they are on things of the Spirit, we just get worn out. And sometimes we sin even as believers because we simply don't want to listen to God. We just don't want that to be a part of our life so much. There are some things in our life we want God to be a big part of, no, uh, it might be uh, children. We want God to be a big part of children's life. We're going to trust God for the raising of our children. Or I really want God to be a part of my career and, and help me get advanced and, and, and help me cope there. I really want God to help me out in, in uh, um, uh, you know, some other areas of life. But there's some things I'd rather he left alone. And one of them is the bitterness I brought from childhood or the anger I brought from being hurt so often or the grudge that I harbor because, after all, people have done me wrong so often in so many ways. And sometimes we just, we just nurture the sin. So sin is a part of a Christian's life, not by God's design, but by our inattention and our carelessness, our exhaustion, our frailty, our weakness, and sometimes just because that's who we are and we're, we're hanging on to it too much. And that's why Peter can write something like, put this away. You know, just, just get rid of them. Now, this isn't an exhaustive list of all the sins that we should get rid of. I mean, I suspect there's a whole long list, and there are throughout the New Testament, long lists of vices and sins that we are to put off and put away from, from the, uh, the, the old man and, and put on the new man in, in Christ. But when Peter talks about these, understand that he's still in the context of living a strange life in an alien land in order that we might love one another. And if we view these vices, these sins, as having an impact upon relationship, then we understand why he's talking about these and so he says put away if you're gonna love one another put away the malice the ill will the hard feelings put away this self-justification that you have that it's okay to be mad at certain people put away this feeling that you have that some folks really deserve to be punished and you're gonna do your best to make sure that you're the angel of God bringing it to them Get rid of this, this ill will that you might have towards other people. Now, thankfully, I have no malice in my life. Well, I don't know about that. Because Jesus once told the people, and he said, you've heard it said from old, 
thou shalt not kill. He says, don't murder anybody. Sure enough, I'm clean on that one. Don't murder anybody. And then Jesus said, but I say unto you, with an authority that the people had never understood before, he said, but I say unto you that if you just think ill of, of your brother, if you hate him, if you call him a fool, you've committed murder in your heart already. And there's a connection there between the heart and the action. And while the world will say, yeah, a certain amount of malice is okay after all, people can just bug the stew out of you, but don't cross the line into murder. But as long as you don't go into murder, you're okay. And Jesus said, no, that's not quite right. If you've got a little bit of that in you, then you're guilty of the sin. Now, lest you think that uh, you're immune from the sin of malice, uh, and maybe you are, doubt it, but if you are, what's your immediate reaction when someone cuts you off in traffic? I know what mine is. Heavenly Father, would you bless this person for obviously they are having a hard day and they need an infusion of your grace in their life. Or it goes something like this, idiot. You see, we can't even get in the morning commute. We can't get from the house to work without malice and ill will. And, you say, and, and of course, the, the, the world's answer is, well, that's a small thing. You know, that's a little thing. Why are you getting so caught up in something like that? Because it does not reflect the character of Christ in the heart of the believer. Because that kind of malice, that kind of thought towards another person is just the seed that grows into a whole, whole host of sins from this little um, uh, encounter of malice on the, on the beltway comes the, 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 the seed from which grows prejudice and bigotry and, and, and hatred and racism and all these kinds of things. So when Peter says, put away the malice, you know, he's, he's not playing with, with small potatoes here. I mean, this, this is a big deal. He says, put away the malice. And, and how about the deceit? Deceit's an interesting word. Um, uh, guile, just fraud. When Jesus first saw Nathanael, he said, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit, no guile, there's no fraud. Here, here's, a, here's a man that what you see is what you get. How much of our lives do we spend hiding things, hiding things? And it wrecks your life when you live a life of deceit and fraud and, and guile like that. Because you, you hide things and you go around thinking, if people ever found out, they wouldn't like me. They wouldn't love me if they just knew. If I ever had to just open up my life and let everybody see exactly who I am, where I am, what I've done, where I've been, they're not going to like me. So I'm going to put on this, this false front. I'm going to cover it over. I'm going to deflect the, the conversation. And it seems like a small thing until you understand that that kind of deceit and dishonesty in a relationship can only breed brokenness and hurt and pain. It's not like something good and wonderful is going to come out of lying to each other. So Peter says, put away the deceit. Make sure you have a certain amount of integrity in, in, in front of each other, hypocrisy. We looked at that last week, hypocrisy, that, that, that means playing an, a role, acting, you know, taking a, 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 the, the, the part of an actor and, and uh, trying to convince people that you are something and you're not. 
Now, sometimes hypocrisy is, is just overt. That's called lying. Sometimes the hypocrisy is a defense mechanism. We're, we're afraid people find out who we are. You know, all these vices are a way that keeps people distant from you and away from you and apart from you. Hypocrisy will do that. The next one, envy. You know, this, this is something that is so hard for us to get over, envy. You know, there's a, there's a verse in the Bible. It's actually in Romans chapter 12. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Now, most of us have a pretty easy time weeping with those who weep. Hey, you're feeling bad, let me. Oh, yeah, man, man I feel bad for you. <laughs> yeah, I feel like really, really bad for you. you know? and, 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 and in our good moments, on a good day, we can summon up some kind of sympathy for people who are suffering. The hard part is when somebody's rejoicing. The hard part is when you're in graduate school and you floated out your resume and nobody's answering. There's not a college, not a university, not a teaching position, not a church. Nobody wants to talk to you. You floated out your resume. You're working really hard to get a job as soon as you graduate. And then your friend comes up and, you, and, and it says something like this. I was going down the road and I saw a college, so I stopped in and they gave me a job. You think I'm making that up? Rick Wilson. See? She knows. Do you know how hard it is at that moment to say, Rick, I'm really glad for you. <laughs> you know, Rick, I'm, I'm just so happy for you. Let me rejoice with you. Now, there's something about our human nature that we just want to say, Rick, I hope you're miserable sometime today, because you know, I sure am. <laughs> We find it hard to rejoice with those who rejoice because we're envious. And even though their joy robs nothing from our lives, we're envious. Even though the fact that your neighbor has, has been blessed and, um, uh, you know, is, everything's going well in his life, his career's going well, his, 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 you know, and the cat comes when he calls, you know, all these kinds of fantastic things, and, and you can't rejoice with him. Because of envy. It's that envy that's, that's born in us as self-centered, self-focused people. It's just hard. So Peter says, get rid of the envy. You know? Don't think that somebody else's joy is going to rob joy from you. And then what this slander. Slander. That, that's awfully close to gossip. I mean, it's not like you have to take out a full-page ad in the newspaper and say, Here, you know, here's what I think of so-and-so, what a slouch of a human being and disqualify from the human race. Blah, blah, blah. You don't have to do that. All you have to do is just uh, let somebody else think ill of them when you know better. All you have to do is when uh, you're standing around the water cooler at work or wherever you stand at work, or when you're texting and e emailing people. You know, all you have to do is just let slip, well, you know what so-and-so said. I can't tell you. I can't tell you what they did and said, but if you knew, you would just be astounded. And another, you know, the other person is just going nuts trying to figure out what he say, what he do. You do understand that gossip is condemned in the New Testament more often than is homosexuality. God really doesn't like gossip, even when you call it a prayer request. <laughs> and so Peter says, get rid of the slander. You know, this, 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 it, 
I don't know, I'm, I'm thinking of trash talking. You know, for some reason, our world has fallen in love with trash talking. You know, the, the, the ultimate in, in personality and celebrity is the one with the zinger and the guy who can put you down and who can just, you know, set people in their place uh, with, with just a word or two. But Peter says, if you're going to live like a stranger in an alien land, and you need to get rid of that kind of slander. Now, I, I mentioned that these things are are um, relational sort of sins. These are sins that invade a relationship and break it. If you took these sins, put them all together, and put them into a marriage, you have a dysfunctional marriage. You know, and it's hard to believe that you would do that to the person that you, you pledged and vowed that you would live with the rest of your life and love them the rest of your life and, and just, you know, give yourself to her and, and all those kinds of things. It's hard to believe that you'd have envy or malice or deceit, or hypocrisy, or slander. But we do it in subtle ways. We do it in subtle ways. It, it's, I'm, I always pick on the guys. I'm going to pick on, on the ladies. You know, ladies, it, it's... Okay, guys, it's when... Um, <laughs> it's, when it's, it's when you finish the softball game and you're, and you're, and you're, you're standing back at the tailgate of the pickup truck and... Um, and the subject of wives comes up, and what do you do? You start telling stories on your wives. Do you know how scatterbrained she is? You know, blah, 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 blah. you know, uh, and, and, you know. You won't believe what she said. You won't believe what she did. Why? Let me tell you. You know, or I, I just can't get her to do this, that, or the other. And, and you know, and you start complaining about your wife, and you go back and forth. Look, guys, you were called to be loyal to your wife, and that's not just physical, sexual loyalty, but that has to do with the loyalty of the heart and of the emotions. She's your best friend, and you don't trash talk her in front of other people, and you don't put her down in front of other people. You know, if somebody else says something about her, even if it's true, you stand up for her. See, because that, that kind of slander, gossip, speaking ill of others, being jealous of one another. I mean, you, you, you would think that we wouldn't be jealous of one another, but that happens too. Debbie and I have read about it in, in, in other things. But, I mean, the, the, these just result in a totally dysfunctional marriage, it'll result in a totally dysfunctional relationship no matter where you are. In, in a church, you know, put away the, the deceit and put away the malice and ill will. That's what happens when churches split and they get factions and they start to be suspicious of each other and, and, and suddenly everything that, that somebody says, you interpret it in the worst possible light. Peter says, put it away. You know, just, just, just get rid of that. Here's the technical, psychological um, uh, way to phrase what you're supposed to do with these vices and sins. You ready? You may want to write this down. Stop it. <laughs> yeah, S-T-O-P, new word, I-T. You've seen that. Just don't do it. Okay? That's part one. Part two, and this will surprise you, is found in verse two. And uh, here it is. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. There's a couple of things there that Peter um, 
posits as normal Christian experience. He says, first of all, as newborn babes. That is, Peter can say, if you're a believer in Christ, you have been born again. That, that's what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to belong to Jesus Christ. It means you came to that point where you confessed your sins, acknowledged Christ Jesus as the Son of God who died for your sins on the cross, opened up your heart by faith, trusted in the shedding of his blood to forgive your sins, and the Holy Spirit working in your heart caused you to be a new creation. Just back in uh, verse 3, chapter 1, uh, Peter said, you know, blessed be the Father who has caused us to be born again, who has made us a new creation. Behold, the old things have passed away. All things are become new. If you are a believer in Christ, you have been born again. You're not of the flesh and of the earth and of the old sin nature. Now you are an adopted child of God. You belong to the Father. Your life is found in him. Not only that, Peter says you have an inheritance, inheritance given to a child. You have an inheritance that's imperishable and corruptible. You have an inheritance that cannot be taken away but it's kept for you safe in heaven. Not only that, you're born again by a seed that cannot die. And so your salvation, your life, your born again nature cannot be taken away from you. It's a gift of God to you. So Peter says, like newborn babes, like people who've just been born. But then he says, long for the the, the sincere, the pure uh, milk of the word, But then he says, so that you may grow. There's one thing about bringing a little precious baby home. You know, the the, the moment that baby's born, what do you start looking for? You start looking for signs of growth. Start asking yourself, you know, how's he doing today? Is is his head still wobbling or his muscles getting better on the head thing? You know, the little bobblehead was cute for a while, but it's about time for that head to stabilize. And I didn't know there was such a thing as tummy time. The rest of you did, but, you know, you put him down on his tummy. Is he pushing up? Is he pushing? Do you know how pathetic it is to be a grandfather? <laughs> Debbie and I just spent, you know, we, we just stared at, 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 uh, at Chris the other day, and we're just staring at him. We're saying, he's almost turning over. Yeah. He's almost turning over. You know, you know how they try to turn over, but the hand gets in the way, and they can't do it, so you, you just want to pull the hand out of the way, but they keep pulling it back. And <laughs> And then you start to feel guilty because he hasn't turned over yet, and you don't want to be the first to see him because, you know, mom and dad really should see him when he turns over the first time, but you kind of like want to be there. (laughs) I mean, we're pathetic. (laughs) But you're looking for growth, saying, are are his eyes focusing on me? Does he track sounds in the room? Is he responsive? Are the motor skills developing? And it never stops. You keep looking for growth. And Peter says, as newborn babes, grow up in salvation. Keep that thing going. It's it's not like uh, the born-again experience, you check off that box, now go do something else. No, you're born again. It's a whole new life in Christ. And the journey is one of growing and growing and developing and growing and learning, going deeper and deeper into who Jesus Christ is. So so he can... He, he, he can posit those two aspects of being a believer. One is the born-again experience, and the other is growth in Christ. Now, you're born again. That's an instantaneous thing. You're born again, you're born again. It's not like you phase into Jesus. It's not like God's election is sort of, maybe I will, maybe I won't. I mean, it's not, you know, God doesn't put you in front of him and say, 
Save I may, save I won't, save I may, save I won't. <laughs> You know, when God elects you, when God chooses you, when he saves you, he saves you, that's it. Born again. But then there's a process. We talked about that when we talked about holiness and sanctification. There's a process of growing. So with those two things in mind, you're born again, and there's this process of growing, growing up into salvation. What does he say? He says, because of that, long for the pure spiritual Milk. Now, some translations will, will say something like uh, uh, the sincere milk of the word or something like that. Um, the word for sincere um, is um, logikos or logikos. Uh, we get our word logic from it. Uh, the other time it's used in the New Testament is in Romans 12.1 where, where Paul talks about um, you know, not being conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might do the whole and perfect will of God, which is your, what's the next word? Reasonable, spiritual service, service of worship. See, both those words, reasonable and spiritual, can translate this word logikos because uh, it, it's, it's spiritual in the sense that uh, it draws you up and out of just a dependence upon things and seeing it, it, it connects up to uh, Jesus Christ, who is the logos. It connects up uh, to the, the reasonable nature of uh, God's will for your life. But then it, 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 it is also logical or, or, or reasonable in that it makes sense in conformity to uh, God's will. So what we're, we're talking about here is this milk is reasonable and it's spiritual. It's reasonable in that it will satisfy the intellect and it's spiritual in that it will satisfy the soul. It's milk that will fill you and satisfy you. And so this milk that he says, long for this milk, long for this milk that is pure, that is unadulterated, doesn't have additives mixed in. You know, that's, that's sort of the way we want to do Christianity. We want to have the milk of God, but we want to add in something like uh, uh, from the world so we can have chocolate milk uh, from, uh, from, from God. Or, or maybe we want to pour in the sugar and whatever else so we can have the ice cream of, uh, of God. No, it's, it's unadulterated, unmixed, without any additives, milk of God, the pure milk that sustains us. Now, Peter says, long for this milk. Have a craving for it. You ever have a craving? I did once. Lasted about my entire life. <laughs> yeah. there, there, there's only one potato chip I ever met that I didn't crave. You know? so, but my addictions are better than yours. But, you know, but... But when you have a craving, what you crave calls out to you. Wayne, I'm in the cupboard, Wayne. I'm in a little bag that's only 150 calories and Debbie will know, never know, Wayne. Yeah. Sort of calls your name and you feel yourself drawn to it and you find you can't concentrate on anything else because you're thinking about it, okay? Peter says, have a craving for the pure, sincere milk of the Word. Have that kind of craving where it calls you, where it, where it summons you, where, you, you know, if you're doing one thing, everything about you just wants to be in, in, in the Word. Everything about you wants to be in that nourishment that God provides in His Word. 
have a craving and a longing for this word that will help you uh, or cause you to grow up into salvation. We are to long for this uh, food. Now, this will cause us to grow up into the salvation. And so, uh, the, the, the point of the second part is have a craving for God's nourishment. It comes through the word, comes through the personal devotion, comes through prayer, all those things. But have a craving for the milk that would cause you to grow in Christ. Okay? Do that. Just turn it on right now. Just, I'll give you five seconds. One, two, three, four, five. Okay. You got it? All right. It's just that simple. Wrong. Because here's the problem with both of those. There's, there's a list of, of sins, and, and Peter says, don't do them. Stop. And then he says, and there's the pure, the sincere, the unadulterated milk that causes you to grow in salvation. Long for it. And the problem is, you just can't make yourself long for something. It sort of has to make you long for it. It's not like you can just say, oh, I think I'll, 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 I'll start craving the Word. I will stop craving the Word. I'm going to put it on my calendar to crave the Word. That's not craving. That's not longing for something. And when you talk about the, the vices and the sins, you say, well, just stop it. Just don't do it. Yeah, right. If it was that easy, I would have done it long ago. That's parts one and two of the sermon. Here's part three. This one I entitle, Oh, the Marvelous Grace of God. Oh, the Majestic Grace of God. Here's how I find it. The Scripture says, If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. If you have tasted that the Lord is good. That word good is some, in, in, in other translations is, is, is uh, translated as gracious. The Greek word is Christos. Uh, it's the word that's used in, in, in Ephesians when uh, we're taught, be ye kind one to another. Be ye Christos to one another. I think the early Christians loved that word Christos because it sounded so much like Christos. And you saw the Christos of God in Christos. And, uh, you know, the, the word just has to do with graciousness and, and goodness and kindness toward us. And Peter says, these things, get rid of the sin and long for the milk, these things, if indeed you've tasted the goodness and the kindness and the grace of God, if you've just tasted them. And here's what I think that means. It means if you've ever encountered it at all, you'll start to long for it. Maybe we can illustrate it this way. You remember when Jesus was going into a village, and as he was, he was going in, ten lepers met him. And uh, the law said that if you were a leper, that meant you had some kind of open sore, skin disease, rash, uh, dryness. There, it, it wasn't uh, modern-day leprosy, Hansen's disease, disease but, but rather it was a whole host of skin conditions that uh, made you unclean. And, and if you were declared unclean, a leper, someone with a skin sores on, on you, that uh, uh, you had to leave your home and your community and sort of live on the outskirts of town. And whenever you saw somebody, you had to call out, unclean, unclean, to give that person time to, to get off the road and let you pass by so they wouldn't get near you and be unclean too. So you were really separated out. The law said you had to call out, unclean. So these 10 men who were lepers in their close knit society of suffering, knowing that seeing Jesus, they should have said, unclean, 
talking about themselves, said, Jesus, Master, talking about Jesus, have mercy on us. Jesus came over to them and he said, guys, I want you to go show yourself to the priest. This is what the law requires. When you're healed of leprosy, you go show yourself to the priest. He examines your skin. He sees that, you, that you're healed, that you don't have any of the sores or the open wounds anymore, the dryness, the rash. He says, when, when, when the priest sees that all that's gone, then he's going to offer a sacrifice for you and you can go home again. He says, I want you to go to the priest and show yourself. And the scripture says that as they were going away, they saw that they were cleansed. They were made whole. Here's the kindness of Jesus. He didn't say, go to the priest, convince him you're clean. He said, go to the priest, I will make you clean. And as they went away, they were touched by the kindness of Jesus Christ. And only one of them paused long enough to taste the kindness of Jesus. And he turned around and he raced back. And because he had tasted the kindness of Christ, he fell at the feet of Jesus, and he worshiped him. You see, when you have been touched by the kindness of Jesus, you want to worship him. Amen. I mean, there's all kinds of things that happen. Um, uh, you remember um, the, the, the Gadarene demoniac. Uh, Jesus was encountered. He, he was confronted by a man who was filled with devils, filled with uh, evil spirits, with demons. And uh, Jesus, at some point, he says, you know, come out of him. He, he cast the demons out of this man. And the demons start talking back. They say, Jesus, you can't do this. I mean, look, look, uh, there, there, there's a lot of us here. He says, well, what's your name? He said, Legion. That's how many there are. So, yeah, Jesus, don't, don't just kick us out of this guy. Put us somewhere. And Jesus says, all right, there's a herd of, of um, um, pigs over there, the new white meat, and... Uh, uh, and so he put the evil spirits, he put the demons into the pigs, and the pigs just ran across over the cliff into the lake, drowned. The people came out, because they're, they're a little bit upset at the fact that their uh, economic system had been a little bit disturbed. And they, they came out to see Jesus, and the Scripture says they found the demoniac clothed and in his right mind. listening to Jesus and talking with him. Now, here's the verse we miss because we tell that story and, and, and we get to this point and we're, rightly so, we're just, hallelujah, praise God. Here's the next, next thing it says. And the man wanted to go with Jesus. I want to go with you, Jesus. So Jesus, you, you've touched my life. You've changed my life. I can't bear the thought of being without you. I want to go with you. I want to be with you. I want to worship you. I want, I want to adore you. I just want to listen to you. Jesus said, no, you go on home and tell them and show them what God has done for you. He was touched by the kindness of Christ. He wanted to be with Jesus, and he was put on mission to bear witness and testimony. That's what happens when you taste the kindness of Christ. You start to sing songs like, He touched me. Oh, He touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. You start to praise Him for every little thing. When you've seen the smallest kindness of Jesus, it is infinite and eternal in its scope. 
And if you have tasted that the Lord is good, you will crave the milk. You will crave the sustenance. You will hate the sin. You see, the longing to be rid of sin and to be filled with Christ is not an act of our will, but it's an act of the grace of God. And when God works and shows his kindness to us, then he plants within us the longing for the milk and the hatred of the sin. And that is grace. That is grace, pure and simple and entirely. Oh, I wish we would just pause for a moment you know, and just go around the room. Those who know Jesus, just stand up and tell me how good and kind he's been to you. Just stand up and bear testimony that I was lost in sin and he brought me out. Bear testimony that I was, I was mired down and bogged down in bitterness and hatred and he gave me a servant's heart. Bear testimony that I thought life was all about things and material possessions and I was killing myself chasing them and Jesus set me free. Bear testimony about the time that you thought all was lost and he found you. The time when all was darkness and he brought the light of God. The time when you were confused and he brought the wisdom of the word. Oh, that we would go through this room and everyone bear testimony of the goodness and kindness of Jesus. Would you be able to bear that testimony? Could you tell the story of the day you first tasted the goodness of the Lord? Could you give that witness to the grace of God that planted within you the hatred of sin and the love of the milk and the craving for the milk and the nourishment from God? Because my prayer is, is, is twofold. The, the first is this morning, brother and sister in Christ, that you would rejoice in what God has done for you in Christ. And you would never treat it lightly, but return to that moment time and time again and refresh the magnitude and the, and the memory of the grace. And my prayer for you who do not know him, who have heard about him, but do not know him, that you would reach out to him and that the Holy Spirit would bring you to the cross that you would be born again. Let's pray together. Father, it has been too long since we thanked you for saving us. Father, it's been too long since we paused and in solitary silence wept at the beauty of Christ. Father, it has been too long since we have come before you and acknowledged our frailty, our weakness, and our sin. Too long, Father, that we have taken you for granted. But this morning, Father, we see Jesus. We see the touch of his hand and we feel the kindness of that touch. And this morning, Father, the sin is loathsome to us and the Savior is beautiful. Give us a longing for that spiritual milk that we would grow in salvation. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.